The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Haley Moss, an attorney, author, artist, and advocate. I'm also autistic, and today I'm joined here by... Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Buds. I'm a psychologist and an attorney. How are you? We have made it through the very beginning of 2021. Yes, we have. It's been interesting. How are you? It really has been interesting. So far, so good. So I got to start my role as an adjunct professor this this past week so I've been getting used to getting used to teaching and having a little bit of something new going on so I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays nice and my students are mostly like future service providers and they're all we're doing a class on autism and understanding advocacy and mentorship and all that good stuff so a lot of the things that we talk about here on Spectrumly and things that are a little bit deeper that might be things that are I find really interesting and geeky, like a little bit of policy, a little bit of just thinking more about neurodiversity as something that might be new to them rather than here where it's kind of just accepted. I mean, literally our friends here that host us are called different brains, which, you know, is kind of neurodiversity in a nutshell. So I think our, our students are kind of getting that taste of neurodiversity and understanding what that really means for the first time. And it's really just an exciting thing to be doing. Well, it's exciting, A, that it's a, it's a offered as a class, and it's mm-hmm. exciting that there are students interested in learning. So it's, it's great. That's awesome. Thank you. I think, I think we have about 15 students this, this term. So, nice. Nice. so far, so good. Their term is only about a month, month and a half. So th- that's oh, how that's they do quick. classes there. So their terms are a lot quicker. Okay. And it'll probably be offered at another term during what I guess would normally be the semester. So it's the only class that they're currently enrolled in right now. So they get along with the practicum. So they kind of get to focus on what we're learning, which is really just cool. That's great. Wow. That's exciting. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Good. Same old, same old. Kind of like Groundhog Day. <laughs> I know. It's just another day in these times. <laughs> exactly. I'm very excited for our guest though. Me too. So today our guest is Carly Fulgham. Carly is a mother, wife, and she's vice president of document services strategy for a major worldwide bank. She is the first autistic president of the board of directors of Autism Society of Ventura County, the VP of the Autism Society of California, and she's also on the board of Art of Autism. She is chair of the Autism Society of America's panel of autism spectrum advisors, serving on the national board and was awarded their volunteer of the year award in 2018 in the Bob Began Professional Mentorship Award in 2020. She serves on two local museum advisory councils for disability inclusion and advised the Grammy Museum on their sensory friendly Saturday program. She has also won global diversity and inclusion and global volunteer awards from her employer, which are awarded to less than 0.03 of employees globally for her work both inside and outside of the bank to ensure that all people on the autism spectrum can find success and joy in their lives. You are awesome, and welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Haley. It's really great to be here and to meet and to spend time talking with you and with Dr. Butts. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And just 
to get everybody up to speed, because we like to ask this of all of our guests, can you tell us a little bit about how you became involved in the autism community? Sure, yeah. I actually um, went through the first 28 years of my life in complete and utter ignorance of the fact that I was autistic. I um, had created so many different workarounds in my life. I was able to muddle through things and and, and have some successes and some drawbacks and some challenges. And in my mid-20s, I ended up um, having a major burnout and I went on social security disability. And then I randomly came across a Time Magazine article about a little boy with autism and a light bulb went off. And I was able to get my diagnosis from UCLA when I was 28 years old. And um, I've always been a person who's wanted to help people and give back. So, you know, as soon as I discovered, uh, as soon as I was functioning enough and I uh, came across uh, the Autism Society, I I started volunteering. And next thing I know, know my local affiliate may be president and the rest is history. (laughs) Can you can you tell us a bit about how you fared through this pandemic so far? Yeah, um, it's actually been a bit opposite for me than most people in that I have always had a work from home accommodation for the last decade. And so I was accustomed to being at home, but being by myself in solitude and peace and quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so now suddenly I, um, my husband and my toddler are here all day, every day as well. And so it's been quite uh, interesting to have to to adjust to that. I mean, everybody else is like, oh my gosh, I miss being around people all the time. And I'm like, I miss my solitude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same. I'm the same way though. I really do. I was working from home a little bit before as well. I'm like, I miss my solitude too. So I'm with you on that. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So it's, it's been quite uh, amazing though, to, to be able to watch my son so closely as opposed to him being in daycare all day, every day. And, Mm -hmm. uh, really watch him turn into a little person. He just had his third birthday on Monday. Happy birthday to him. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's been in my, I think, you know, my favorite things are just little things. Like I I set up a little art table right next to my desk. And so, you know, he'll be like, mommy, I want to paint. And so we'll get out the paints and, and he'll, he'll paint his little table right next to me while I'm working at my little table. (laughs) 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 So, um, but yeah, his, and his, he actually did have some developmental delays. And so he, prior to everything, he was in a bunch of different therapies and whatnot. And so switching those to virtual were, uh, was quite a transition, but you know, he's, he's gotten to the point now where he's, he's, will ask either to talk to one of those therapists or to one of those family members. Um, he's like, I want to talk to people. And (laughs) that means he wants to get out the iPad and call somebody. Wow. (laughs) He's a social butterfly. Yeah, he is. And it's funny because he actually had become a little bit of a recluse the first few months and we were starting to get worried about his socialization. So in July and, and plus, uh, you know, my husband and I are sanity as well. So in (laughs) in July, we decided to uh, have him start going back to daycare two days a week because uh, his his daycare has been open this whole time mostly uh, the kids of of you know attorneys first responders you know uh, 
folks from the local military base, people that still have to work. Right. And so they've done a really stand up job of making sure that everything is, is um, safe. And so we, we didn't like my husband and I are both high risk. So we were hesitant to have him go back full time. And so the two days a week has been a really good compromise and, and he loves it. So he, he loves being around everybody too. So. That's, so, yeah. that's wonderful. So we want to talk today a little bit about parenting on the spectrum. And I'm wondering what are some of the challenges that you've had as a parent, especially during pandemic times? And I think you highlighted a little bit of that with compromise, but, and you've also talked a lot about the joy, but I'm really wondering what some of the challenges are. Um, the cha- the challenge, biggest challenges are actually not what you might think for me. I think that my biggest challenge is getting my husband to understand how to raise a kid (laughs) 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 because I I, I honestly think my autism and my awareness of the developmental stages that I've gained through my nonprofit work has helped me to be a better mother and so I you know like I, I still remember back before he could even talk, there was one morning when he was, he and I were sitting at the breakfast table and he just started screaming in the middle of breakfast, like at the top of his lungs, wailing, crying. And my husband's like freaking out. He leaves the room because he can't handle it. And I, I took a moment and I said, okay, there's something that's upsetting him. What is upsetting him? Because nothing was different about breakfast. It was the same thing he always ate. So I followed his eye line and he was staring outside in the backyard at a blue ball that was sitting on the grass. And we're always careful to put away his toys in the backyard. So I said, do you want me to put the blue ball away? And he nodded his head in the middle of his wailing. And I, so I, put on my flip-flops, went in the backyard, put the ball in the box that we normally keep it in, and he instantaneously stopped screaming. And so, you know, for me, it's really about just taking a moment to figure out what is he trying to communicate, even if he's not using words. And I, you know, I credit, you know, all the amazing, you know, conversations I've had with my non-speaking friends and they're them telling me about their experiences with that you know being able to to be present for that so that's that's one example but it it does get hard because sometimes my sensory issues do conflict with whatever he's doing Mm -hmm. and and so that can be a challenge because I do have a a whole mess of them I didn't even know they existed before my diagnosis I thought everybody experienced the world that way I really think that one of the other um, challenges is just making sure that he isn't scared in this time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's aware of what germs are. He, you know, he wear he's you know just like I said, he just just turned three, but he will, he's gotten to the point where he's really good at wearing a mask if we do have to go out. And so, it's really. Um, yeah, I mean, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I think, I think, I think it definitely does. I mean, 
I don't really know that much about being a parent. I'm I'm not one. So I really appreciate it. Switching gears a, a little bit, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of back to the pandemic. How do you think advocacy for in the autism community has shifted or changed because of the pandemic? I think that, you know, it's really been wonderful to see how our, our community has coalesced around each other to give each other support in this time. You know, we've had we have so many different Facebook groups and and other um, you know online areas that that we're able to connect with each other. And I love that um, you know for the most part everybody's really supportive of of what each other's going through. Mm-hmm. You know, in particular the 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 community of autistic women. I mean, I. I'm always amazed at how every week there is a new post of like somebody saying, hi, I'm new to the group. My kids got diagnosed and I realized I'm autistic too. And so I love that we're finding each other and we're able to support each other. And, you know, even just advice on how to deal with situations that do come up, you know, being able to be connected to that global community. Like I honestly love that 99% of the people I know don't live anywhere remotely near me. (laughs) I feel uh, that in my soul. Yeah, totally. I mean, like even, like even you and I. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years, but even more so since the pandemic started, because Mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm doing my work in college accommodations workshop, the the last two times it was virtual for the first time. So, but yeah, Haley, it's been great being able to have you join us across the coast and, uh, share your wisdom and knowledge and mm-hmm. and so it you know especially on the parenting forums there's a couple of really great groups for for um moms on the spectrum you know women who are just trying to muddle through this whole world all by themselves and mm-hmm. i think one of the biggest concerns for you know all um parents is that we you know those of us with autism we worry that doesn't matter how good or bad of a parent we are, we're going to have somebody who's just going to walk up to us and because we have autism, think that we're not competent. Oh, and, wow. yeah. and so that's actually a fear that I hear echoed a lot online. And I myself have it too. It's, it, you know, I remember when we first had our son, I, when we w- were having therapy, or when he first got into to early intervention and OT and, and whatnot, when we first started having people come over, I was really anal about making sure that everything looked clean in the house because while these are people that are accustomed to the world of autism, you know, I was still worried because they're mandatory re- reporters. You know, like by law, they're required to report if they think a child is in danger. And so you know, daycare. I'm really adamant. My husband's in charge of bath time. I'm like, you have to give him a bath, you know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because there's a you know, little bit of grease in his hair and I don't want anybody at daycare to report that he's being neglected. You know, even though he's not, he's perfectly happy, perfectly healthy. You know, we mm-hmm. were in for our, our uh, well visit for his three-year-old checkup on, on Tuesday and, you know, clean, perfectly happy, healthy boy. And, and, and it's funny too, because one of the best things I think about the pandemic is having him be around us talking, not just to him and to each other, 
but all I think honestly, all of our business meetings and having he's got, we got him an iPad that he uses in that he can he's allowed to use in the afternoons and but I'm really restrictive about what he gets to to do on it, mm-hmm. and so it's mostly things like Sesame Street, PBS Kids, but having that exposure to us talking to grownups in business meetings, us talking to each other, us talking to him, mm-hmm. you know those those. Um, really educational children's programming he went from in like january february only being able to say one or two words with a vocabulary of maybe less than 100 words to by his um by last summer when he had his two and a half checkup being at almost a four-year-old level of speech and now he's at a four to four and a half level according to the doctor so he's he's turned into this little person overnight and Mm -hmm. it's really been wonderful to watch and and he says the darndest things I know there's like a a show about that but like he like one point this fall he said mom you're impossible and I'm like you're not supposed to say that to your teenager (laughs) Uh, it sounds like at this rate you might actually have a teenager by by the spring I know but but it is odd too to see how play has evolved Mm -hmm. in the pandemic because um you know like he he knows what germs are I mean how many three-year-olds before this year knew what a germ was right and so like we got I got him Fisher Price did like a limited edition set last year and so I got him this um, community heroes set of little people and the, you know, the little figurines that, mm-hmm. that kids play with. And so there's a, a, an EMT, a doctor, a nurse, a grocery store worker and a food, like a delivery driver. He's got a little like shopping cart on his hat. Um, and so it's like weird. Cause like yesterday he was playing with them and he's like, one of them's like, you know, the grocery store guy's like, I don't have any, any bread, but I have eggs. <laughs> and, then the, and then the delivery guy, guy was like, I've left your groceries on your front porch. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> like, what? I mean, a year ago, if you would have said that a three-year-old would be using that kind of dialogue in play, like mm-hmm. everybody would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> right. I, I, I definitely feel that I would have, I would have probably thought you were crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's, it's just really, you know, I like to take a step back sometimes and just observe things like that and just Mm -hmm. really reflect on them because that's what I, that's the little things in life is what I think is most important to focus on. Yeah. You've got the big things, you've got the big milestones they have to meet for their age groups, Mm -hmm. but being able to take a step back and, and just watch him play or participate and play with him and, and see the interesting things he comes up with. Like the other day he was playing with his dad and they decided that they were going to have a dinosaur takeover and the way to like protect the people from the dinosaurs was something like they had to fart or something. (laughs) And and I was like, like, just knowing that I'm able to just, you know, being able to observe that, that play and be able to, to, you know, be aware of it. It just, it's like, yeah, things get tough, things get hard, but there's so much little snippets, little vignettes of joy in there. And being able to focus on that 
helps me through the difficult times, the hard times. And like I said before, what I know about communication through my work with autism has really helped with avoiding upset in our house. And, you know, he'll get upset and he'll start to cry and he'll be upset, but we have taught him the language of emotion. We've taught him disappointed, sad, mad, you know, happy, glad. We've, we've taught him those words and he understands those words and he can use those words. And, you know, if we ask him what, you know, what, are you scared of something? What's scary? You know, he, he may take a moment, but he's able to then articulate. And then we just get creative. Like he was afraid of, there were ghosts in his room the other day. Um, uh, and so I said, okay, I've got something that can take care of that. So I went to my room, found my old iWatch box, which is, if you've, I don't know how many people have an iWatch, but it's like mm-hmm. a, a long, skinny, white box. Uh-huh. And I told my son that that was a ghost vacuum. And <laughs> so I just, I just pointed the box to all the corners of his room and made silly sound effects and sucked up all the ghosts in his room <laughs> and then put the box under his bed and say, now that it's under your bed, it'll just automatically pick up all the ghosts in your room and you'll never have another ghost in your room. And a month later, that box is still under his bed. And, you know, so I don't have to have something fancy. <laughs> I can just use random things around the house at, at his age. And, um, and, and I just, I, it's not that I'm, I'm not going to, if I tell him there are no ghosts, he's not going to believe me because mm-hmm. he would. And, <laughs> and uh, so I just, you know, find a way to work with him to, so that he can be comfortable with whatever it is he's feeling. I think that's really, really smart. And I really like that. And all of this talk is making me want to go straight to our segment. So we're talking about, we were talking about parenting and stuff. And I'm like, I really want to get to our segment because it's just so exciting. And I think it's such a great natural flow. So I have mentioned that I do not have kids. I'm not at that phase of my life at this current point. But the more that you talk about your son and how he's like a little person and getting creative with like the ghost vacuum and all stuff, I'm like, oh my God. You're making me think about that having kids might be something that one is in my future someday or and two something I might actually want because it's something I've always kind of been on the fence about. So I kind of think for our segment we wanted to talk about women on the spectrum that are thinking about becoming parents someday so yours truly and we're also thinking about new parents so like what suggestions you might have and what you might like what your journey might have been like and things like that because I feel like I am not the person to comment on this as someone who since their early 20s has always been saying yeah I'm never gonna have kids and then the older I get I think well maybe one day with the right person this would be really cool and maybe it would be cool to have a a kid and you also addressed a lot of my fears as well so I'm really interested to if you have the time of course to talk to us about this yeah sure so I always wanted kids since I was little But in my 20s, when I started having significant problems, I kind of gave up on the idea that it was never going to happen for me. And um, then I I eventually, you know, got my diagnosis, got back on my feet, gradually worked my way into the world of work and um, met my husband on eHarmony. And after we were married for a few years, I just really wanted kids. All of his friends had kids. And, you know, the, you know, most of my coworkers had kids and it just, it was something that was really 
something I wanted. And so we agreed to start trying and after a couple of years, it wasn't working. So we, we went to a fertility specialist and uh, we were able to figure out what was going on and we determined that we needed to do IVF. And so I actually, in my forties, you know, because I had that huge delay of like completely missing out on my twenties and early thirties of, you know, getting my life back in order. Um, I was a lot older. And so we ended up actually having to do four rounds of IVF. And um, each time I only had one egg make it to the point where you would freeze it to do the genetic testing to make sure it was healthy. And um, the first one didn't make it through the thaw, which is like a one in a million thing that never happens to anybody. And then uh, that was really hard because I was there at the office ready to do the implant and they had to tell me that they were sorry. And then the second and the third one had a trisomy that just wasn't compatible with life. It would have, you know, died before the end of my first trimester. So we couldn't implant those. And then the fourth one worked out. And so, um, what a journey. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, and, and there's, there's, there's actually some really great online support groups for people going through fertility issues, whether you're doing IVF or, or just, you know, the natural way, you know, there's really some great, um, great groups out there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, once we got pregnant, I was high risk in like a million different factors. (laughs) And so I was very closely monitored, which actually was very, it it gave me a a great sense of relief because I was able to, to get a lot more ultrasounds than people normally do. And it was actually at one of the, one of the last ultrasounds um, they were monitoring because they thought his his head circumference was going to be too big to do a natural birth and they were probably going to do a planned cesarean um, just because he just wouldn't have fit. (laughs) So, um, and so it was at my last, uh, my last planned ultrasound when the neonatologist said, um, Hmm, let me call your doctor. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, what's going on? And he comes back and he's like, okay, so you're all out of amniotic fluid. It's apparently been leaking and you didn't, must not, I'm like, I had no idea. I did not notice. And um, so you need to go to the hospital now and have a cesarean. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I- How many weeks were you? I I was, um, I'm, now I'm having to do backwards math. I was like 30, just, just about 37 weeks. Okay. Okay. So okay. it wasn't, it wasn't super early. It was, it right. was like, yeah, like his, his due date was January 23rd and this was January 4th. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't that, but it was like two days later than if he would have been a, considered a preemie. Perfect. So, yeah. So yeah. So he wasn't, he was, he was early, but not a preemie. Thank goodness. Um, but, but I had had some, um, during, during a, a monitoring session in November, I had had some um, contractions that I couldn't even feel, but they were, but they basically gave him the shot to like advance his lungs, the steroid shot. So oh, that, great. Okay. So I'd Just already had that like a month earlier. Oh, nice. Good. And yeah. so it was like, everything fell into place. And so I, I, 
I kind of did break the rules a little bit and I went back home and grabbed my bag and and like emailed my boss and said, um, so I'm not coming back to work today after all. <laughs> Here's all my stuff that I was going to do for the next three weeks. <laughs> and I get the call from the hospital, like, you're not here yet. And I'm like, oh, I'm on my way. <laughs> Almost there. Um, and, and so then we, we got to the, the hospital and mm-hmm. they gave me the, the epidural for the surgery. And I gave them a copy of my really, really, really long birth plan, uh, and like everything I wanted to have happen at the hospital, and and all, and there was a huge section about all my sensory issues. Oh, and nice. that's so a, necessary. Yeah, and I also had something I had put in there about pain, like how I might re- how how I might respond to pain, and you know, one of my sensory issues is I'm very, very sensitive to certain types of touch. Um, like I can, like, I, I notice the second a stray hair falls out of my head and, and lands on my arm, like, I'm like, oh, there's like a hair on my arm to get rid of it. Or like, you, if you touch me with your fingertips, it feels like you're, you're poking me with pins and needles. But like, you know, if you rub your hand on my arm, I'm, that's, I'm fine with that. Um, so I, I kind of explained that because if they tap me on the arm or the shoulder, I'm going to freak out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I didn't, I wanted them to be aware of that and because the nurses are going to have to touch you, (laughs) that type of a thing. And so um, they were actually very accommodating. There was one nurse during my stay there that I, I didn't, I had trouble with communication. Like she, she, her method of communication was difficult for me to understand. Like she was very joking and sarcastic and stuff like that. And I have a really hard time with sarcasm. And so I did, you know, I, I said, I'm sure she's a perfectly competent nurse. I'm just having trouble with communication. Can I get a different one? And so then she was, they were great and never put her on my shift again. Um, but the cesarean itself, like I had my noise canceling headphones on because I, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, they're going to be talking and there's going to be chaos going on in the operating room. And I just, I need a little bit more calm than that. Yeah, so so it's great because like the very first picture of me holding my son, I'm wearing my noise canceling headphones. <laughs> That's awesome though. Yeah. I appreciate, I, I will always appreciate a good pair of noise canceling headphones and anyone who thinks otherwise is severely mistaken. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, you know, to me, that's the epitome of like the photo of the autistic mother, you know, mm-hmm. that's, 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 and, and, you know, so that was really great having that wonderful experience at the hospital, but, you know, I'm, I'm probably like one of the few, if any mothers out there that can say I actually experienced zero pain during childbirth. Like there's plenty of pain afterwards, after the surgery, but no, no pain during childbirth. So that was, that was a blessing. Cause that, that says a lot of the, a lot of women on the spectrum have a lot of concerns about that, but mm-hmm. there are some, but, you know, pain management f- during birth is something that's, that's, you know, tried and true and, and the mm-hmm. doctors are, are really good at it out there. And, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing that I think is interesting that a lot of autistic women are worried about is just that entire hospital experience. And mm-hmm. what I tell them is, you know, look, there are so many of us that are undiagnosed that every single maternity nurse on the entire planet has had plenty of autistic patients. Right. Like, Right. Like, there's no way they haven't because there's Correct, just, right. 
you know, exactly. if we're not finding out what we have autism until our kids are diagnosed. That mm-hmm. means that we had them when we had it, when we were in the hospital giving birth. That so is they're, so used, true. they're used to all kinds of weird sensory things like, mm-hmm. oh, I have to have low music playing, or I have to have heavy metal music playing, or mm-hmm. I have to have, you know, this lavender scent being pumped in the room, or mm-hmm. I have to have it scent free, you know, like they're used to all of that. Like even typical moms ask for stuff like that. Right. You know, uh-huh. So, yeah, I think my question with that is, I know that there is a lot of, I know this is probably a question that we probably don't have an answer to, but I do know for women, there's a lot, there's already bias with medicine. So our pain isn't taken seriously or that someone doesn't believe us. And I think for autistic people in particular, there is extra bias in the medical system. And I'm wondering how that kind of goes into having kids or like in earlier in the segment, not the segment, but I think the interview as well, you mentioned like different concerns that autistic moms have when it comes to doctors and when it comes to reporting and all that stuff. So I kind of wonder how all that bias almost plays into being an autistic parent. Like, I think that's something that I'm kind of nervous about in the future is I think, oh my God, that what if I'm in pain and someone doesn't believe me because they think autism impairs my sense of judgment or they think something else. Well, I think in the regular non-maternity ward hospital environment, that is that is true. Mm-hmm. And we also just in general have trouble with pain scales. Like mm-hmm. they, ha- they have that stupid diagram of the facial expressions yep. with numbers. Yeah. So yeah. like, I have no idea what any of that means. I had like a really serious mm-hmm. condition a, mm-hmm. a decade ago where my with my pancreas and, and gallstones and whatnot. And, Mm -hmm. and they asked me, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what is your pain? You know, exactly. And And you almost have to say what they want you to say. You almost have to say it's like an eight or a nine. And I think the other thing is like, and probably like your eight might be someone else's like four or your four might be someone else's eight. Exactly. So this is what I said. This is what I said. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I've heard that giving birth is the most painful thing you can experience. So if that's a 10, this is a nine. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, okay, you're in a lot of pain. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, I know that there's some people that are out there working on new pain scales for people with autism. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping that those turn out to, to work really well. But I think in general, you just have to um, be, be descriptive. Like it feels like someone's stabbing me with a knife. It feels like ants are crawling on me. Like, like using descriptions like that can help augment, you know, because the, for me, I can't quantify even in normal life. Like I'm sitting here at my desk, looking out the window at my son's sandbox. I couldn't tell you how far away it is from my chair. I have absolutely no idea. I can't tell you how much someone weighs, how long it takes to do something. So trying to quantify pain is just completely, you know, outside of the paradigm of things I'm good at. I'm really good at, at strategy and I can, you know, that's what I get paid for, for my day job. But, you know, so I, I'm a good thinker. I just can't tell you how long it takes to do something without doing a time study. And so, you know, I think with respect to the medical profession, you just have to really um, think in terms of, of what, do, what do they need to know? They need to know that I'm a direct communicator. They need to know. And, and so they, if they, if they want to tell me something, they need to just come out and tell it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't talk around in circles. I, I, I won't catch up on subtle hints. 
they need to know that I have to have all instructions in writing because while I may understand everything they're saying while they're saying it, I will not remember mm -hmm. it. I have to have every single step detailed in writing. And I like, I prefer to read the, the written instructions before I leave in case they've inadvertently skipped a step that they thought was obvious. Mm -hmm. I do that even with my, all my regular doctors, not even just with respect to the birth experience. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think one of the things that was really poignant is because I was, I'm probably one of the few that's out, out about having autism because there is that, that fear of the medical community. And, and so when I was at the hospital after I gave birth, you know, my, my husband said, the nurses at one point said, you know, and we're talking in the hallway. I didn't know about it. They, they said, Oh, she's so normal. I didn't expect her to to be so normal because <laughs> oh, I'd come out as autistic you, and so I think I, you don't look autistic exactly so I think retrospectively I would point out to them that they probably had other autistic moms like I mentioned before because I, I didn't have that in my birth plan disclaimer stuff so I think I probably would point that out to them that most women are undiagnosed and so they probably had autistic patients before and, um, but then the, really the fear comes to our, you know, like I said before, is somebody going to make that presumption that I'm incompetent? So, um, yeah, that's a, that's really sticking with me. That's a very, um, unnerving and something that makes me sad. Um, yeah. and that, it doesn't just happen with people with autism, Dr. Butts, it's happens right. with all disabilities. Right. Right. And it's, 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 uh, and it's, it's just horrifying. It yeah, makes yeah, yeah. me, it makes me sick. I, I'm, I'm so sorry for that. And I don't know how to wrap my head around that and help and change that. Um, but that's, that's awful. Well, mm -hmm. podcasts like this, hopefully doctors and nurses will, and, you know, other people that are mandatory reporters will, you know, hear things like this and, you know, really step back and think about it, you know, just because somebody thinks differently doesn't mean that they're incompetent, just because they don't show an expression on their face that you're expecting to see doesn't mean that they don't care. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I'm really, that was one of the things I had in there is like, when I'm really stressed out, I may not act or respond the way that you're expecting because I have to think about putting on facial expressions and using tones of voices. And when I'm stressed out, I'm going to forget to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to be as, um, as candid about things like that as possible, just because I didn't want somebody to say, oh, she's not smiling. She doesn't care about her baby. We're going to call right. CPS. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That makes and a lot other, of sense. The other thing I'm learning from this is that I think all of the steps and everything you are you do for yourself would help the medical community across the board. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, everything you're saying about, you know, laying, th like, you know, we, we have to take these mandatory courses in medical errors, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so what you're saying about doing these step-by-steps and, and giving them written, giving a patient written instructions on would help everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of system would help all patients and you know yeah. even with you know my parents I'm they're not they're not elderly but they're older and and I'm always you know mindful that somebody needs to go with anybody to the doctor and hear what the doctor's mm -hmm. saying and but if everything was written out the way that you're 
doing it, we'd have much less medical errors just across the board for all patients. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's just little things like you go to a dermatologist and you get prescribed something and, and you're supposed to like wait six hours after you apply the cream before you go out in the sun or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, like just having that written down, you can stick it on a post it on your door and remember, oh, wait, I got to wait five more minutes to go outside. Right. You know? Right. Little things. Um, and, and I find with doing this, this podcast that, that, those of you with autism really, you know, can all of the ideas that come out here, and there's at least several of them of each one that we do, um, can help all people and can help the whole community. And, you know, you all are are in a position where, you know, you're advocates and, and, and you're, uh, you know, figuring out how to make life better for yourselves, but but in doing so can make life better, not only for the autism community, but for the community at large. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's amazing. That's very insightful and very thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and mm -hmm. I really have taken it to a step low, you know, with my son as well. Like I, he's got some GI issues. So there's certain foods he can and cannot eat. So I periodically send a reminder to his daycare. This is the stuff that he can't have. And uh, so we, but I also garner, you know, get feedback from them. I'm like, hey, do you notice, does he mostly sit in the corner by himself or does he engage and play with other kids? You know, does he do this or does he do that? And I think like I'll, I, I'm actually actively asking them the questions rather than just shooing them off and, and assuming he's doing fine, you know, and, and that, you know, that's one of those things where I wish that one of the things that comes out of the pandemic is just a greater understanding of differences. And, you know, the whole thing with that everybody's talking about, about how, how work from home is actually doable, right? You know, now that everybody's working from home, but also on another scale, just, you know, it's a, it's a, beginning uh it's the continuation of the dialogue of different is okay mm -hmm. and it's the continuation of the dialogue of you know being inclusive of all because like it breaks my heart there's another kid at his daycare a year ago that um you know the parents were just completely refusing to acknowledge the fact that her daughter their daughter had significant delays mm -hmm. and they you know they they were given my card as somebody they could reach out to to talk about it they were given you know the information to go to get an evaluation from our, our local agencies and, and they just were refusing to do mm -hmm. anything and, and the longer you wait with the little kids the lo longer it takes to get them caught up and it's that stigma it's that fear and I think that, you know, a second I noticed that he was behind, like one of the things that I did when I had his very first pediatrician visit when he was first born is I said, I noticed they had this paper that they were checking, asking me questions like, does he do this? Does he do that? Where they were doing the developmental evaluation. And I, and I, it turned out I was the only parent they'd ever had in their decades of, of practice who ever asked for a copy of it to take home so that I could monitor it at home. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I mean, the CDC has a really great app for monitoring development, but I've got, I still have that yellow piece of paper on my refrigerator. And now I'm tracking what's supposed to be doing at the three and four-year-old level to make sure that he knows how to do it. Because if, if he's supposed to be able to draw a line and I don't know he's supposed to be able to draw a line, right. how am I going to practice with him to make sure he knows how to draw a line? Right, right. exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe they're supposed to know how to do that at age five. Maybe they're supposed right. to know how to do it at age two. I don't right. know. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So, and I, and I would, I, I would suspect that 99% of all parents don't know that either. Exactly. I'm, I'm so, so I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah. So why don't all pediatricians office automatically give parents a copy of that at the first right. visit? Right. You know, why can't that be a thing? Good question. <laughs> it's so obvious and it makes so much sense that you're so right. Yeah. So I encourage anyone listening to this, if you have a kid, no matter how old they are, ask your doctor for a copy of that form that they're checking boxes off or highlighting things on every mm -hmm. time you go in. And because it's never too late to make sure that they're where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. so. Right. And it's not a secret. <laughs> like it's no, not. it's not. I mean, this form is so ancient. It looks like it was typed up on a typewriter. Oh my God. I'm sure it was. I've only just been quiet because I'm just learning so much. This is so not the world that I know of kids and pediatricians and things, but I learned so much today. I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah I learned a lot. And I think that everyone who's listening to us is going to learn a lot from you too. So I know this is kind of a random question, but how can we keep in touch with you and get all all the the scoops? So how can we find out more, especially from you, and that our listeners can keep learning from you too? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm I'm very active in the Autistic Women Facebook and Mums on the Spectrum, and so you can always find me there. But then also. Um, you can, anyone's welcome to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. That's more towards professionalism and employment. And um, if you want to reach out to me via email, it's uh, simply my, my first name dot my last name at gmail.com. Awesome. So we're really excited to have Carly here. And I think that that kind of wraps up our discussion. And I know that I learned a lot and I'm so grateful for you. So for the rest of us, be sure to check out differentbrains.org and check out their Twitter and Instagram at differentbrains and don't forget to look for them on Facebook. If you're looking for me, you can find me on all major social media at HaleyMossArt or at HaleyMoss.net. I can be found at CFIExperts.com. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and don't hesitate to send questions to SpectrumlySpeaking at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going. Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.